Um, I want to talk to you today about following Jesus with your whole heart. I had Dick Foth here last week talking about Jesus. That's always good and incredible. People tell me he's their favorite speaker. doesn't bother me a bit because he's my favorite speaker too. I, I, I love him tremendously. And then Pastor Jerry shared on encouraging. I heard some phenomenal reports about your message. We're putting together three sermons on our mission statement. What are we all about? This is it right here. Encouraging people to follow Jesus with their whole heart. You can put it in one sentence. Now, that becomes a bigger deal. You know, encouragement's a big deal to me. I want people, I mean, encouragement means it takes courage. It, encouragement means putting courage into. That's literally what it means. But it also uh, has a positive connotation. And we want to be encouraging as we go forward. And you represented that great, uh, Jerry. Thank you for that. And, and following Jesus, well, we know that's what it's all about. But I'm going to tell you where our world is having trouble here today, especially in America, following Jesus with your whole heart. There's some things that we don't want to surrender. As a matter of fact, we've rearranged our th theology so we don't have to surrender all of our stuff to Jesus anymore. We don't have to lay our sin aside. We don't have to take hold of his will anymore because he loves us. Well, yes, he loves us but we still have the word of God to lead us to a full commitment for his purposes. So I want to talk about that today. Full commitment's important. You want to go in with your eyes open, giving everything. Uh, last year I had, maybe two years ago, I had a dad call me and say, hey, my son's having a little problem with his fiance. She asked him this question. She said, when we get married, if I get older and get fat and ugly, will you still love me? And he said, uh, if you love me, you won't get fat and ugly. That's what, he, that's what he told her. He said, would you call my son? I said, absolutely, I'll call him. So I gave him a call and said, hey, bro, wrong answer. That is not, not going to work. She, she might just skip the whole deal. You got to love her no matter what. You got to be committed to her. I said, has it ever occurred to you that you might be fat and ugly someday? That's not the commitment that you want. You want to give a full commitment, totally. It's her heart. It's her personality. It's her person. You're going to be there for her. Well, he got his act together. He did it right. They're married and they're doing well now. And he does have a full commitment towards his wife. And she's beautiful. And he's not so handsome. But, but so he's the lucky one. But what, what if we came to God that way? Well, God, I, I, I don't, I don't want to give you everything because you might call me into something. You might have me do something that I'm not too excited about. I'm afraid to commit to you because you might put me in a situation that I'm not very happy with. I'll give you this much, but I don't want to go that far. Well, man, that's not the way to enter into the relationship with God because he gives us everything he is. Do you know what? We can't have everything he has for us until we give him everything we are. When we give him a full commitment, we get fully all that he has for us. It becomes released. Matthew 22, there was a question asked Jesus. Here it is. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. Everything. Are we there? Let's pray. Father, as we evaluate our salvation as we look at our experiences your word says work out your salvation with fear and trembling examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith today lord we we have a an examination of ourselves and as we look lord i pray that your holy spirit would speak to hearts take the word from your holy book the bible and bless it to our hearts with grace and truth i pray in jesus name 
Amen. So three questions today. We're giving a little self-evaluation here. How am I doing? Am I fully committed? The first is this. Will you surrender every area of your life to Jesus? Let's get right to it, right out of the gate here. Everything God says He wants us to do is good for us. Have you thought about it that way? Everything He doesn't want us to do is bad for us. It says in Psalm 84:11, the Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. When we get after Him, when we give Him a full commitment, He, he gives us everything that He has. And then if we, if we don't listen to Him, we have trouble because everything He tells us to stay away from is bad for us and it will hurt us. 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 5.8, he talks about the enemy of our souls. Now, if there's a God, and there is, then there's a devil, and there are demons, because the Bible, there's not a demon behind every bush. The, the devil's not uh, omnipresent or omniscient, all-knowing, or om, omnipotent, all-powerful like God. God's all those things, but the devil is in some places, and the, the Lord's allowed him to rule here for a season before God takes him away and destroys him eventually. And we're, we're kind of in this season where we can be tempted by him. But, but eventually, we'll go to be with God and he will be destroyed. Until then, though, we've got to deal with him. He's our adversary. He's our enemy. And the way we deal with him is to stay close to God. Because listen to this. It says in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, I don't want to freak you out, but he's after you. He knows your weaknesses, and he'll come at you with those things. Those things that are not surrendered to God, he'll hit you hard there. And he's after your children. So you have to watch it and, and be a safe haven at home and, and, and walk as men and women of God and lead them along the way. You can't, you can't fall asleep on the job. I was in California a little over a year ago uh, with my daughter coming late into a convenience store. We stopped to get something uh, there that night, and I went in by myself. Candace stayed in the car, and as I walked in, it's this huge place, a huge convenience store, and it was completely quiet, and I looked around. I couldn't find anybody working there, and finally I noticed there was a guy sitting on a stool behind the counter completely asleep, supposed to be working. You know, he's just like this. So I thought, well, he's probably tired. He'll wake up in a minute. So I went and got three or four things, looked around a little bit, went to the counter, He's completely asleep. I'm thinking, I could rob this guy blind right now. I could just take all kinds of stuff and walk out of here. And I'm thinking, how many people have done that already tonight? You know, how long has this dude been asleep? And so I go, uh, excuse me, nothing. I'm thinking, is he dead? You know, and I, uh, sir, nothing. Hey, hey, and he wakes up like kind of startled. and Oh, and he serves me like, you know, no big, no big deal. And as I walk out, I think, wow, he could have been stolen blind. And you know, if we fall asleep as servants of the Lord, the enemy, and we don't, we don't think about being fully committed to God, we don't think about that being a covering for our lives and for our children, the enemy can come in and steal when we're not looking, when we're asleep in a certain area, and, and he can hurt us. Now, I know bad things happen to good people, but you know, some bad things happen because we're not alert and because we do wrong as well. And so, so we have to be really careful to walk in his ways because it's important. He releases his full blessing there. The pure in heart, the Bible says, will see God. That's not just in heaven. That's here on this earth as well. And the devil, the devil will tempt us, rather, and he'll tempt us 
with this thought. This is how he comes. And I want to I speak to our culture and what our culture is doing because it's trying to wipe out sin. The vain philosophers of our day and the plan of the enemy is to try to get the church, the people of God, to come to a place where they say there is no sin. And so the enemy will come this way, just like he did with Eve when he said this. In Genesis 3, verse 1, has God really said, did God really say that? Is that what God meant? Is that what God meant in the Bible nowadays, they would say, because that's God's word? And the serpent said to Eve, I don't think that's what he said. I think it's this. I think it's okay. Partake of it. It's, it's just fruit. And she partook of it. It's the one thing that he asked her not to do. And she was cast out of the garden with her husband who went along with her in that setting. And so he still works the same way today. Are we willing to trust God concerning the things he says that are wrong and sinful and will hurt us? Will we take his word for it in the Bible? Or are we just going to try to erase it and act like it's not there? Are we willing to let go of the things that he calls sin? Are we willing to let him, <clears throat> to give him power over us so that we might overcome sin? It takes willpower, I say. It takes your will to say it's bad and I don't want to do it anymore. And his power, willpower, his power to help you overcome. But if you don't start with saying it's bad and I'm not supposed to do it, you won't get the power. Because he won't show up. Because you've already decided you don't want to do it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 shows us that he has power to help us overcome. That we don't have to live there. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. It's not only death for eternity. It's pain and heartache in this life as well. It's hardship that it causes. Be sure your sin will find you out, the Bible says. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13 shows us how to escape some of these consequences of sin. Now, listen, when it comes to sin, temptation is, is, is not the problem. Every one of us are going to be tempted. Jesus was tempted in every way, it says in Hebrews, but without sin. So you're going to be tempted, but how do you overcome that temptation? Jesus spoke the word of God, and he tapped into the power of the Father. And here's the word of God for us concerning those areas that we might have some struggles with. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Can I tell you something? I think Calvin would turn over in his, in his grave at what some people have done with the doctrine of eternal security. Now, for you theologians, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about there. Eternal security means once saved, always saved, basically. And... and um, uh, there are people who believe that and who don't, but Cal Calvinism used to say this. It would say that repentance was part of salvation. And so, uh, yes, once saved, always saved. But if you lived in a lifestyle of sin, they would say, no Jesus, no change. Jesus hasn't come into your life, and the fruit of your life is showing you're not really saved. Nowadays, that doctrine has been pulled into do whatever you want, and God will be okay with it. Well, I want to tell you something. God's not okay with sin. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like it because it hurts us when we do it. And the consequences of sin will still fall upon us when we sin. And God says, look, here's the way I want you to approach it. I love you. I'll forgive you of your past, and I'll help you in your present not to do it anymore so you don't have to have pain. You say, what do you mean? Well, when it comes to pornography, 
If someone persists there, a man persists in pornography, it's going to hurt the intimacy of his relationship. It might lead to other things. And God says, as Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes, Job 31.1, not to look at a young woman lustfully. And so we have to call that bad and say we have to get away from it because it leads to a gradual decline. It causes pain and heartache in our lives. We can't let it persist in our life because 1 Corinthians 10 says he's greater. He can help us be overcomers. So here's a question for every one of us. Will you confess and repent of your sin or will you say this? I love pornography more. I love my food more. I love my adulterous affair more. I love money more. I love control more. I love homosexuality more. I love my anger more. I love my way more than your way God, wow. Are we willing to surrender every area of our lives to him? Let's take a look at what the Bible says about homosexuality for a moment. That's right, we're going there today. We have to in this culture. I've been waiting for the time that I felt that God would have me to speak to what's happening in our society, and I want to speak to it a little bit. People are saying today, is homosexuality really sin? That's what we're hearing from the vain philosophers And I have a question for you. Where do we get what we believe about morality? Do we get it from the politicians? As believers in Jesus Christ, do we get it from the entertainers? Do we get it from our neighbors? Do we get it from actresses and actors these days? As believers, there's only one place that we're supposed to go to discover what truth is. And it's the word of God. Now, I want to tell you that morality, the things that God was against in the Old Testament called sin, he's still against in the New Testament, and he calls them sin. And so there's sexual sin of many kinds, but this is one of the huge issues of our day, and the church is becoming afraid, and and the church of Jesus Christ in America is on their heels right now. And what I want to do is be on my toes. So I, I, I want to share with you the truth of what the Word of God says. You say, aren't you a little bit afraid? I kind of am a little bit afraid. But I'm more afraid about what God thinks of me as his servant than I am what man thinks. So I bring to you the Word of God. Now, you need to judge. Are you going to believe them? Are you going to believe the vain philosophers of the world? Or are you going to believe the Word of God? Here's what the Word of God says in the New Testament. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. So, that's what the Word of God says about homosexuality. Let me just pick out some words there that that are all through it. Here's what the Word of God says. It's impure. It's a lie. It's lust. It's shameful. It's unnatural. The world will tell us different. It's indecent. It's perversion, and there's a due penalty for it. 
Wow, now, I don't want to just pick on that sin because any sin that we persist in in a lifestyle uh, can keep us from coming close to the Father and even keep us out of heaven. If we choose a lifestyle willfully, continually, deliberately against Him, but lest we just make it about that sin, let's look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 because it includes maybe the sin that we're more uh, uh, drawn to or tempted about, but it still must be overcome and repented of. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, here's what he calls wicked. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's not talking about a slipping and falling. If a person has in their heart a heart to follow God and they slip and fall, God forgives and God can help them. And sometimes it's two steps forward and one back, but we keep moving. We're not sinless, but we can sin less and less all the time. But the, the, the heart is to repent. What is repentance? Repentance is I'm going this way. This is the way of sin. Jesus comes into my heart. I confess my sins. I'm a sinner. He forgives me. And I show that I'm really sold out because I repent of my sin. Repent means to turn my back to and go a 180 completely the other way. To stop doing that as a lifestyle. So whether it's drunkenness or greediness or, or thieving, robbing the poor, all these lifestyles will we'll bring us to a place, and Calvin would say, if, that, that theologian, that, that if, if you're not showing a lifestyle that, that bears fruit and you're showing this unfruitful, wicked things, then you never were saved. That's, that's what he would say. But today, that's all been changed. So here's the question. Has God really said homosexuality is sin? There's no doubt about it. Absolutely, he has. He said it. I could read you 20 more scriptures about this, but, but we don't have time today. But the enemy of our soul, the vain philosophers, they're all on the move in the place in the society to, to, to call things not sin. And this is a big deal. Here's why. It's not just about homosexuality. It's not just about that. Wayne Cordero said this, the unforgivable sin is the sin that you do not admit and repent of. He also said, Lucifer is trying to get you to commit the unforgivable sin without you even knowing it. So if we can say, if the devil can get it, the vain philosophers can get it to the place where we say homosexuality is not sin, then guess what? They never confess it because they think they're okay, and they never repent because nobody told them. And, and the Bible says where there's no revelation, it's talking about the messenger. That's, that's, I'm one of the messengers. That, that where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. So if I don't tell you, I, the, the Bible says judgment begins in the house of God for his servants. I mean, I'm answering to him more than to you. That's partly what today is about. And so we look at these things. But can I tell you this? There's no higher law than the law of God's word. There's no higher place to find truth. They were told in the New Testament, some of the servants of the Lord, stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And I don't know if our culture is going to go there. The Supreme Court's starting to make these decisions, right? And, and thank God they're not telling me I have to sin, but they're calling what the Bible calls sin good. That's happened in our society before, abortion. We have things that are, that are legal, but they're not permissible for the saints of God, right? Our government calls them legal, so that'll happen. But, you know, 
at least they haven't come to a place of saying, don't speak in his name. But if they do, we, what, what, what happened to those servants of the Lord when they said, stop speaking in the name of Jesus? They said this, are we to obey God or man? We must obey God. And so, so here we are, understanding that it's not just homosexuality, but it's adultery and all these lifestyles of sin and, and things that we can move into that God says, I wanted you to repent of that. I don't want you to hang on to that and call it okay and good. Here's the thought. Repentance is the fruit of true salvation. No change, no Jesus. Repentance is the fruit of true salvation. 2 Corinthians 7, 8. Paul has disciplined someone who is living in sin. And, 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 and here's the result. He said, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Verse 9, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For your sorrow, for you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. There it is. Repentance leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Unless you think, uh, you know, people say Jesus didn't say repent. Look at what it says in Matthew 11. He, he sent the forerunner, John the Baptist, and in more places than one, Jesus talks about repentance. Here's one of them. Then Jesus began to denounce, denounce is strong, the towns where he had done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. Jesus says that repentance is part of the deal, turning and going another direction, and he will give you the power. You can't call it good and make everyone persist to say, if you love me, you'll accept me as I am. Listen, God loves you too much to leave you where you are. He loves you more than you love yourself. He doesn't want to leave you in a place that will hurt you and damage you. He loves you so much, he'll lift you. And as you follow him, you'll have the best life possible on this earth and eternal life in heaven. 1 John 3, 9. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning. What? That's not what we're being told in our culture. We're saying, we've been told you can't help it. Well, listen, that's talking about a lifestyle of sin. You're not going to say willfully, continually, deliberately, I'm going there. Because God's life is in them. That's why they don't keep practicing this. So they can't keep on sinning because they're children of God. Ephesians 5, 3 and verses 6 and 7 lets us know that, that with all these categories of sexual immorality, you know, the, 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 there are people saying, it's, you know, it's okay, just ask God for forgiveness. Well, can, can I tell you, God won't bless your sin. He loves you, but he won't bless your sin. There will be consequences to pay, and he loves you so much, he wants to keep you away from pain. I can't tell you how many men and women I've sat with in 23 years as pastors. One of them committed adultery, and it broke that marriage covenant because... There are consequences that go with these things. Jesus even said, I permit you to put them away if they've, if they've committed adultery against you because it hurts your heart so bad and it can't be overcome. It's not what he wants. But there's just consequences. And Jesus says, hey, I want to bless you. I want to bless your life. And maybe someone's forsaken you and you can't do anything about that. But you hang on to him. You keep your heart pure and he will bless you incredibly as you go forward. He will not forget you, I promise. But here's what he said, but among you, this is the word of God, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. A hint, that's not even a little bit. You say, that's impossible. 
I didn't write this. It must be possible. Among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Now, let me talk about that for a moment. Let me talk about hashtag love wins. You're seeing that on Facebook and your socials. Who gets to define what love is? The Bible says that God is love and love never fails. The Bible says that God doesn't want anyone to die in their sin, that he sent Jesus, that they might all be saved. The Bible said he's patient and long-suffering. And the Bible says that someday, even though he's long-suffering, those who do not bow their hearts and lives to him, he will punish for eternity. That's what the Bible says. Today, the Church of America has given a, they, they've defined love as it could never include judgment. Now, that's not my judgment. And it's not your judgment, right? We're not the judge. But the Bible says that Jesus is the judge. There's going to be a great white throne judgment where he looks at every life. And, and there'll come a day where he'll pour his wrath out against sin. So hashtag love wins. So who, who makes the definition? So there's a man, he's married here. He's got a great relationship. He's got his, his children and, and there's bond of love in Jesus Christ here. And then he meets this lady at work and she's very attractive and she seduces him. And he starts to think, I love her, I love her, I love her, I love her, so I'm going to go over there. Hashtag love wins. Well, here's the problem. That's the wrong definition of love. There wasn't a full commitment there. Hashtag love wins doesn't work if it's not really what love is. And here's the deal. If your or my definition of love includes that God will not pour out his wrath against sin someday, then your definition of love is wrong. We've gotten it wrong in our culture. I, how do I know that? Because he is love, and he's trying to win everybody, and here's what it says. Because of such things, it's talking about these sinful things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. That's in the New Testament. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Holy cow. Okay, enough of that hard stuff. We'll go to something less hard right now. That was the first question. The next two points will be quicker. Will you discipline yourself? Are you fully committed? Will you discipline yourself? 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. That word train in the Greek is our word gymnasium. It's, it's talking about working out. Verse 8 says, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This passage is saying this, feed yourself, train yourself. Another version of the Bible says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So if we're going to be committed completely to God, there's upon us a responsibility. You know, are we sold out? Are, are we all his? This responsibility to get in his word and to seek him on a regular basis. Feed yourself basically is what this is saying. Listen closely to this. The people that are feeding themselves every day are the people that are leaning in on Sunday and being fed the most. The most fertile ground in this place today for the word of God that's coming forward from a servant of the Lord and a servant to you, the most fertile ground is the heart that's been in the word and been in prayer already before they got here. I cannot take full responsibility for feeding you. If you don't feed yourself, you're not going to be healthy. 
Here's the deal. What if I preach something other than what the Word of God says? How would you even know unless you're in the Word? And if I could give you one thing in your life that I would send with you if I never see you again, it would be stay in the Word of God every day on a regular basis. I'd say that before I'd say prayer. Why? Because the Bible will teach you to pray. And the Bible will lead you to God. And the Bible will lead you to truth. Why are we believing all these things about morality today and all these sexual things that were once called uh, not good? Why are they being called good today? Because people aren't in the Bible. Because we're getting what we get from society rather than from the truth of God. We have to be in the word of God. The people that are feeding themselves every day are the people that are leaning in on Sunday and being fed the most. The definition gymnasium there. I wish I could do it for you, but I can't. I wish, I, you know, I'm doing my best to preach the word today and to motivate you to be in the word, but, but you, you know, I, it's $29.95 for a monthly fee at the LA Fitness Center right now. $100 uh, you know, you got to put down for the membership fee. I'm not selling anything. I'm just telling, okay? And, and so, so what if I s- said, you know, I don't want to go to the gym myself. I want to pay someone else to work out for me. Wouldn't that be awesome? If I could pay you and you worked out an hour every day and I started getting slimmer, I could call you and say, good job. I'm looking better. Keep going. But it doesn't work that way. I wish I could have Pastor Roger work out for me and, and just pump the weights, and then I could watch it grow, you know, as he worked hard. But if I, if I want to be stronger, I have to lift more, right? And, and I have to put the work in myself. No one can do this for you. You have to do it yourself. I'm not talking physical. I'm talking spiritual, and here it is. Joshua 1.8, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey. Not just know, obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Why do you, need, why do you need to do that? Why every day? Because then you'll prosper and succeed in a way that you never would otherwise. Unless you get in the Word every day, I can't even grant you everything that I hope that you would have. But I know if you get in the Word, it'll help you. Now, here's a Horizon journal. I have a journal. It's sitting on the chair right there. I do my Bible reading and I'm starting to journal in here and, and writing down all the things that these passages speak to me. I'll underline some of them. And there's three readings. I want to encourage you to pick one of these up. They're, they're in the uh, communication center right now. They're $5 a piece. That's just the cost for us. If you don't have the money, take one. If you'll take the Word of God and start to work it, we'll, we'll, we'll cover that cost for you because we think that's awesome. But there's a ready, set, and go devotion in here. One's a five-minute reading. And you underline the scriptures that are speaking to you, and then you write down what the Lord's saying. And, and this has self-explanatory system here. This is just a tool. You can use other tools. But this is a tool we use to encourage everybody to get in the Word. I write down my prayers. I talk to the Lord. And it's a matter of discipline for me every day. And I'm telling you, if I don't do it, just like not working out, just like not, not, not running, walking, whatever it may be, I can tell that I'm not in shape as much. I can tell that things start to sag where they shouldn't sag spiritually. And, and we have to stay on our toes because the enemy is going about and he wants to, he wants to destroy us. Here it is in, in prayer, Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Why do you need to pray? Why is that so important? Because you worry, and I worry. We hear what other people are saying about us. You know, I, I have feelings. I, I've heard some of the things that have, that, that have been said around here about me at times through the years, and it hurts me. I do my best, and sometimes I don't measure up to everybody. But you, you know what I do? I go to God, and I talk to Him. And I say, God, I really love you. I want to do it right. And He starts to meet me, and He starts to minister to me, and He blesses my heart. And pretty soon, I start to feel what He feels for me. He loves me. He's with me. He cares about me, even if someone else doesn't. And it's the same for you. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter how deep the trial, when you go to Him on a daily basis, here's what I love about prayer. Even when the circumstances don't change, I can get up from prayer and be okay because I feel differently about it. I can sense that He's with me. I can feel His Holy Spirit in me. I can sense that He has a hope and a future for me. And He wants you to sense that He has a hope and a future for you. He wants you to know that He loves you, that He's with you. He wants to speak to your heart about where to change and what to do as He does my heart, where to change and what to do. And He will bless your life. We need to be in the Word. And this is what I love about life groups. We're signing up for life groups out there. You go there, and what do you do? You study the Word of God, you look at some things, you talk together, and you can be real and honest. I don't get it. I'm not sure if I believe that. You know, the way pastor said that, whatever. Talk about it. I love it. And, and pray for one another. And, 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 and when you pray together, the thing I love about people praying in public is people learn how to pray. People learn how to pray by listening to others. That's how I learned. And, and so the unbeliever uh, can come in. I want them to come. The new believer can come in and share their heart and concern, and we can all learn from each other and pray and grow and be built up together. So discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Are we doing that? And then lastly, I'm sorry, every time I come back from vacation, I go long, but I'll try to go quick on this passage right here. Is his passion your passion? Are we fully committed to God with our whole hearts? Is his passion your passion? Greatest commandment, he said, is to love the Lord with all your heart. Second greatest, Jesus said it here, love your neighbor as yourself. Do I care about others? Or is it just about me and my family, my friends? What is Jesus passionate about? Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord, Jesus said, is upon me. He has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. Here it is. This is what Jesus is about, preaching good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To announce the captives shall be released, and the blind shall see, and the downtrodden shall be freed from their oppressors. And that God is ready to give blessings to all who come to him. What, why do we care about a church in Lake Oswego? Because there's people that are brokenhearted there. Because there are people that are captive that need to be released. Because the blind need to see and the downtrodden need to be freed from their oppressor. Why do we care about sex trafficking in our area or across the world? Why do we raise money for those things to help those girls get rescued? Because we're carrying the heart of God. The Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel, it says, teaching them to obey everything in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I love that part where it says, and surely, this is Jesus, I am with you always. When we care about what he cares about, his kingdom is being built in an incredible way as he anoints us to be ministers for him. 
The theme of the New Testament is the kingdom of God. Did you know that? You look all the way through it. It's about God sending Jesus, his son, to begin to build his kingdom. He's restoring his kingdom. Jesus will come back in the clouds and his kingdom will be established forever. In the meantime, he's come, he's empowered us, and we are to be kingdom builders for him. We're supposed to care about people who don't know Jesus. Do we care about the waitress who serves us that doesn't know Jesus Christ? Do we even think about it? Do we care about our neighbors enough? I prayed this week and said, God, I'm not caring about my neighbors enough. I know you have them on your heart. Help me to think about that. Create an opportunity for me, Lord. You say, well, I'm not really called to that. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What did he give us? The ministry of reconciliation. It goes on to say we are Christ's ambassadors imploring people to be reconciled to Jesus. Wow. Implore is a really strong word. It's like convince. Clarion call. Let it be known. I heard something I really liked this week uh, when it comes to witnessing and sharing with people and winning people to Jesus Christ. That's our call. That's part of it, definitely. It's a big part of what God wants us to do, to love him and to love others, to love others to him. So what's the best way to witness? Is it one on many? That would be Billy Graham evangelism. You know, God has used that through the years, and it's great, but it's not the best. God uses it. Is it one-on-one? That's great because you get to minister to someone. You're loving on them and and you're caring about them and they're seeing God through you. That's great, but I don't think that's the best one. It's not one-on-many. It's not one-on-one. It's many-on-one. Isn't that a great thought? If you take a rock and you hit it with a sledgehammer a hundred times and on the hundredth time it breaks, which blow was it that broke broke it down? Well, you could call it the last one, but all those others were working as well and and were weakening things, so it finally gave in. And I believe that we need sometimes a hundred touches on other lives. The Bible says that we plant, we water, and we harvest. So you don't have to be responsible for, you know, going in and giving the gospel message today. God may call you to that. But can you give a loving touch? Can you give a prayer? Can you bring something to those who are hurting and sick? Can you be a compassionate heart? Can you speak the word of the Lord towards a heart to draw them to him when he gives you that call? If we can have a hundred touches, because probably all of us, our story is we have a place where we came to Jesus, but we had a lot of touches before that. Many on one. And I believe that's what God's calling Horizon to. My dad, we drove by a restaurant that's not functioning anymore on the way to the coast yesterday. Our family went to the coast. And my, my dad, actually my mom told me the story that they went into the restaurant called Oni's there that's now shut down. And um, this was some time ago and dad sat there and wherever dad is, everybody knows, you know, that he's there. He's just kind of uh, just himself and he's loud. And, and he's right here, so I'm, I'm not uh, um, telling him something he doesn't know. But, but he's loving. And, and so... He's talking, and Oni, I believe, or at least the owner of Oni's, comes out, a lady, and she, she sits down, and she pours a cup of coffee, and she starts talking with dad and mom. And uh, somewhere along the way, dad says, I'm a, I'm a pastor. 
And, and she, she starts to tear up. She said, I've got a son that's in great trouble right now. Would you pray for him? Dad said, I'll pray for him. She said, no, I mean right now. And he said, okay, so at Oni's, Dad starts to pray and is with this quiet demeanor, you know. And, and everyone stops everything they're doing in the restaurant and not a spoon is moving. And they listen to the prayer and she starts sobbing. And when she's done, Dad, who is a soul winner, says, you know what, I believe the Lord's touching your heart right now. You need to pray and take him, take all of them. Do you want all of them? Yeah, I want all of them. Pray with me. So she prays the sinner's prayer right there in the restaurant in front of everyone. Now, that's awesome, and we can really say, Pastor Ray, good job, but I'm going to tell you something. A hundred touches had happened before that. Some plant, some water, some harvest. Can we, can we just touch people with love? We're not, we're not trying to say that all these people who've sinned and all these lifestyles that I've talked about today are bad. No, they need Jesus. You say, what do I do with my homosexual coworker? You love them. You care for them. Jesus was a friend of sinners. You walk with them and you pray for the opportunity and you give that loving, uh, that loving expression whenever you can. And God will use us all to love people back to him. But there'll come a day where the truth of the gospel is known and they respond to it if we'll just do our little part to love as we go.